Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability, it's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man. I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey y'all, my name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of You Need Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, I am the host, and our quick reminder up top, as always, even though this podcast is called You Need Therapy, I am a therapist. It does not serve as a replacement or a substitute for any actual mental health services, but it can still help you wherever you are on whatever journey you're in, whatever way you need. Now, today is a solo episode, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things to talk about, which is relationships and how we make meaning from them and how we make meaning of them. And last year, I did an episode with my friend Jesse on red flags. It was actually almost exactly a year ago. And it was a really fun episode. I highly recommend and suggest you listen to it for nothing other than entertainment, if that's what you are needing in the moment. But what conclusion our conversation led to was that a red flag to one person could mean nothing to another person. It's personal, not universal. And as the past year has gone on, the topic of red flags has continued to show up over and over in our culture's everyday conversations and on social media. And I do believe that popular things become popular for a reason a lot of times, most of the times, all the times. 
So there's something about this discussion that has been giving us something that we assume that we need. So what might it be that we are needing? That is one thing that I want to tackle today. I want to kind of wrestle through this phenomenon and get to a place of understanding together. And I want to do this because over the last year, I have also noticed a trend with red flag conversations. They are becoming less about noticing signs that often we ignore (laughs) that might be saying, yo, I don't know if this is a match, and more about pathologizing someone for who they are, whether that's ourselves or the person that we were with or the person that our friend was with. And I believe that red flags don't necessarily mean a person is a bad person in general. I mean, they could. There are some red flags that mm, they could. But really, generally speaking, red flags are about what works for you, not the entire world. There are things that would be green flags to one person and red flags to another. For example, I'll be the first to admit this. I'm a little clingy and physical touch is my love language. So I mean, like sometimes I'm physically clingy (laughs) and there are people who would be repulsed by that and by me. And it's actually one of the reasons that Patrick and I fit together so well. I even asked him a while ago one day what he would do if I didn't like physical touch as much as I do. And he said, honestly, we'd have a problem. I don't know if this could work out because he adheres to those things too. We're compatible in that way. I also remember sitting in my bedroom after a breakup years back and my friend coming over to talk to me. And I don't remember anything I said or anything that she said other than, I'm really glad you're not blaming yourself for this. And she said this because for the first time, I really wasn't. I really was not blaming myself. I had this profound experience where something clicked within me. My ex wasn't a bad person and I wasn't a bad person. But he also really didn't like me very much. And I think I honestly was in the relationship because I was having fun and because I wanted to be in a relationship, not because I saw a future with him. This breakup didn't leave me wanting to put the person who left me on a pedestal. It left me asking what it was that I actually enjoyed in that relationship that kept me in it and what needs I was ignoring because of that. I don't know that he would say this, but I think he thought I was annoying at times and he would get embarrassed by me in certain situations, especially in public. But he didn't ever, I don't think he thought I was a bad person. And our breakup was about how we felt when we were with each other, not what the other person lacked. He was annoyed and I felt lonely. And it feels weird to say this, but I think we both kind of wanted to like each other more than we actually did. But we just were not a good match. And we eventually came to terms with that. But how many times Have I and have we all laid in bed after a breakup and looked back at all of our text messages and thought about all our conversations and asked ourselves what we could have done differently so that things wouldn't have ended? If we wouldn't have gotten mad at that thing, if we would have been more thoughtful, if we would have asked that question a different way, if I would have texted differently, if I would have dressed differently, maybe I should have tried to be more agreeable or funnier and The list goes on, but the thought behind it is, then maybe things would have worked out. When we get broken up with, we often start to pathologize ourselves. We think something must be wrong with me. 
I'm too much or I'm not enough starts to kind of take over our thoughts and we start making up stories that have little to no legs to stand on. And here we develop a list of our own red flags that we start to become very self-conscious of. And we do this because it's really, really hard for a lot of people to accept the fact that we are just not compatible with someone. And this can be for a lot of reasons. It can often have to do with our attachment styles. Attachment, if you're unfamiliar, is the biological system in your body that keeps you connected to others. Our attachment style is how we tend to do that. So a lot of us have have heard of attachment styles. I've done plenty of podcasts on them. And our attachment system gets activated when we perceive a threat to our connection. In this case, it's pretty clear a relationship that we wanted to have dissolves. Now, early in our lives, when a threat to our system comes, what we usually do is engage in attachment behaviors. For example, if a child feels like they're not getting their needs met, they will start doing these protest behaviors. They'll signal for distress. They'll whine, they'll cry, they'll seek, they'll scan, they'll cling. And if that goes well, they'll move back into this place of security. If that doesn't go well, you'll start to form an insecure attachment. And this is the avoidant and anxious attachment styles that you've probably heard of often, whether here or just in the world. And that was the smallest nutshell I could give you right there for that. So please dig into more information if you want to learn more about that. But we learn how to handle these threats to our connection based on how we've experienced the security of connection, primarily in our formative years of our lives. And then we take those strategies and beliefs about how relationships work with us into our romantic relationships when we get older. So If you're wondering, what does all of this have to do with red flags and compatibility? Well, it has to do with just about all of it. So avoidant and anxious attachment tends to mirror each other's needs. And that's why those kinds of people can be drawn to each other. Dating someone with an insecure attachment makes your attachment more solid in its own insecurity. It's like confirming a belief. You deepen the lesson you've already learned. And that is why you're attracted to them. We go to what we know. The avoidant person believes people are too needy. The anxious person believes they will leave me. Avoidant people leave. Anxious people can appear overly needy. What is very important to recognize here is that we are only needy, we're only as needy as our unmet needs. The anxious needs to soothe and connect within more. Often they are caught up with people that if they really allow themselves to find connection to their own selves, then they might notice that they don't even really like the person that they're with. (laughs) And the avoidant needs to allow feelings to show up more so they can access their need for connection. But we have to have feelings to be able to identify our needs. But without any attunement to our own internal working models of relationship and connection, when we are operating from an insecure attachment, we try to squeeze ourselves into versions of someone that would be compatible with that person that we want to be with to avoid rejection, or we overly judge someone's needs in relationships so we can convince ourselves to leave and avoid rejection. So when someone leaves us, we get stuck on why was I not good enough for them? What could I have done better? Versus what were my needs that were not being met? And did that work for me? Did that relationship really work for me? Or when we leave someone, we say, they were to this or they were to that versus what was I feeling when that happened and what might have I needed in that moment? 
It's about the attainment of connection and avoidance of rejection versus quality of relationship. And without a lot of this information, it's easy just to ask like, why? Like, why would somebody rather change who they are to be with someone and to get someone to like them than find a partner that actually does like us? It's so easy to ask that question. We ask that of others even when we do it ourselves. And it's because our experiences have taught us that in order to get our relational needs met, we need to figure out if it's me or them that's the problem and adjust accordingly. It's like a survival mechanism. Avoidant, it's them. If they would just be blank, then I'd be fine. Anxious, it's me. If I would just have done blank, then they wouldn't have left. But a lot of the experiences that have taught us about ourselves and relationships are rooted in stories we created to make sense of our situations that are actually inaccurate stories. While I find it helpful to assess how we show up in relationships and learn from them, it's one thing to say, I need to learn how to communicate my needs better, or I need to work on my compromise skills, versus I need to look this way or act this way or be more of this way or be less of that. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. 
And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I think the partners we choose can be sometimes about finding a way to confirm our inaccurate stories versus finding a partner that we actually feel safe, heard, and understood by. And I mean that on both sides, both fronts of anxious and avoidant attachment. The avoidant may choose an anxious partner because they can easily show up for them and be positively reinforced, but then they leave because eventually that partner wants to show up, wants them to show up for them, and you start, and if you start to like that or get used to that, there's this fear of abandonment and being left, and that's just overwhelming, so you just shut down. And in a lot of their stories, having hope in relationship has been shown to always leave you let down, so you get out before you get hurt. This is when the red flags turn from us to them. While someone who may be anxious initially pathologizes themselves, avoidant humans initially might do the opposite. Sometimes I think this can be really fair. Truly, I do. It is very helpful, like I said earlier, to assess our behavior and hold ourselves accountable and identify why we ignored certain behaviors that don't actually work for us or showed up in ways that don't actually feel authentic to us. But sometimes it's really unfair. And just because you don't work out doesn't mean the person is bad and it doesn't mean that you are not good or good enough. This is really a defense mechanism that attempts to keep us from feeling the sadness and grief of the loss of something that we wanted, something that prolongs actual acceptance. And the reality is, just because you weren't what someone wanted doesn't mean you aren't wanted and it doesn't mean you aren't enough. And on the other side, just because you don't want someone, you don't want to be with someone, it doesn't mean that they aren't wanted or enough or good. It doesn't mean that there are things wrong with them or there are things wrong with you. It often just means you aren't compatible. If you've been here long enough, you also know that I hate, I strongly dislike generic dating advice for many reasons, but one is a lot of dating advice basically advocates for you to pretend to be avoidant while creating so much anxiety inside of your system and deepening those beliefs you have about yourself that very often aren't true and acting in ways that are inauthentic to you. I could go on and on and on. And there are often these tips and rules that you're supposed to use and, and play by to help you like get the person that you want to be with, like get the guy, get the girl. And I need people to hear this. I've said this on here before, but by showing up and pretending to be someone you're not, you're allowing someone else to be with you on their terms, not yours. And you give away all of your power to get your own needs met. And ultimately your needs don't ever get met. And you reinforce very, very, very untrue beliefs about yourself, about the world, about humans, about relationships. And if somehow you end up in a relationship, if you do get the guy or get the girl by playing these games and by being someone you're not, it is eventually going to backfire in two main ways. One, when you start to actually get comfortable and show up how you really are, you're going to mess up the system that your partner has agreed to. And the partner will say, this is not the person that I got into a relationship with and I'm going to leave. And so then you lose, right? Or you pretend to be someone else and you lose because you're never going to end up getting your actual needs met. It's just going to go on forever. That sounds like being locked in a jail cell and it's like there's 
an open door, but you won't go, you won't open it and walk out of it. You're like stuck in this cell, but you're putting yourself in it. The key is not about being the person that other people want. It's about finding the person who fits with what you need and want. For example, if someone leaves a relationship because they desire a deeper emotional connection, maybe that's what they say. It doesn't mean that you're shallow or that there is something wrong with the depth of yourself. It means that the depths might not align. The person who's who left, their depth is not better than yours and you're not worse. And you can just apply that to so many situations. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, the depth was fine with me. So in my situation, we were compatible. It, it was working. Well, you cannot be compatible with someone who wants something different than what you have. That's not compatibility. You want somebody that you align with. So my question is now, if we started to look at relationships that don't work out as matches that ended up not being compatible, how would that shift how we treat ourselves and how would that shift the way we treat others? I think we would be a lot kinder. I think we would be more loving to ourselves and others. I think we'd be more willing to mess up and try. I think we'd be more eager to grow and less eager to change. I think we would be more compassionate and less defensive. And I think there would be less blame, less confusion, and way more acceptance and understanding. Now, I still think we can talk about red flags. I still think that there's space for them. And and sometimes I do know that the conversations are lighthearted. But I want to put this challenge in where the red flags that we're talking about, when we're talking about red flags, it's in a way that we're talking about why this person wasn't a fit for us or why we weren't a fit for them and less about what was wrong with us or what was wrong with them. See that little distinction, like it's about why this wasn't a good fit versus what was wrong with them. It's why I wasn't a fit for this person versus what was wrong with me. Why this person wasn't a fit with me versus what was wrong with them. And it's so crazy, you know, we want other people to treat us with kindness and grace and understanding and we want people to give us the benefit of the doubt and we also have a hard time doing that to ourselves we have a hard time doing that with other people it's like when we get hurt we either want to like deepen the hurt or and and agree to that mistreatment or we want to hurt somebody back I wrote something a week or two on Instagram about this and I just kind of want to read it um, because it encapsulates a lot of what I'm saying and I said everywhere you turn these days it feels like someone is talking about attachment styles including me Part of me loves this because attachment is my therapeutic jam, while another part of me hates this because the conversations that develop around attachment theory in the everyday world have become so focused on finding out what's wrong with you or the person that you used to date. I can already tell you without even knowing who you are that there's nothing in quotes wrong with you. Not inherently anyway. It's possible, however, that there is something problematic about what you believe about yourself. Learning about our attachment style is a way to help us make sense of our beliefs about ourselves and the world around us and how they got to be that way. It's not meant to make anyone feel like they need to change who they are. It's a theory and a tool that has the ability to guide humans to love themselves better, not less. Now, I could go on and on about this, but if I have learned anything about the excessive amount of content on the subject, it's that less is often more. So I'll leave you with this. You don't have to change who you are to develop a secure attachment. Security comes when you allow yourself to remain in relationships with people who appreciate 
and love you and who you are and leave the ones that don't. P.S. This does not just apply to romantic relationships. And I wanted to share that because the end of that is so important. And we can get lost in all of the excess of information. Like I said, some of the stuff that I said could be over your head. Sometimes it feels over my head. But the real meat of all of this is that if we want to create secure relationships with ourselves and others, it doesn't come down to figuring out how to be the most perfect person or the right person, which reminds me of the episode a couple of weeks ago, what the difference, the line between growing and being your best self and the line of accepting who you are, right? So secure relationships aren't about attaining this highest level of rightness. And that's because there are so many different versions of that. There are so many different versions of people. And we so easily start to tell ourselves that when something doesn't work out, it's because I'm not right or they're not right. And while sometimes there can be an exaggeration of that, like sometimes people, like I said, the red flag is just universal and it's like that person is not a good human being. But oftentimes it's just the people are different and that's really hard for us to accept because we create these ideas in our head about what it would mean to be in relationship with that person. But the reality is the relationship isn't fulfilling because you are not compatible. (laughs) And my initial question in this episode was, What might we all be needing in our constant conversations about red flags? And I really think that it comes down to we we just want to feel better. If I can find what I did wrong, I can fix it and I can avoid my grief. If I can find what they did wrong, I can avoid my grief. Or you can insert whatever feeling it is. It doesn't have to be grief, whatever feeling it is for you. And I get that. As much as I know about how helpful feelings are and how important it is to feel them, I also deeply understand our pursuit to avoid them. But your feelings are not going to kill you. They actually aren't even going to hurt you even when they hurt. However, the avoidance of them can and will. It can turn you into someone that you're not and it can strip away your ability to actually find what it is you're looking for. So if we want to feel better, what if we instead become more honest. And the truth is, the honest part of this is sometimes it just sucks when things don't work out how you want them to. And that can be the whole story. As always, I hope this episode was helpful to you. And if you have any questions or feedback, you can always send that to me, Catherine at youneedtherapypodcast.com. You can follow us at youneedtherapypodcast.com at cat.defada and you can follow my practice at three chords therapy. And I want to encourage you guys to take a lot of this information with a lot of just grace as you try to implement into your everyday life. And I really think if we can kind of like how we talked about on the episode about body image, if we can start to shift those conversations and how we're talking about our body, that naturally is going to just eventually happen. We're creating these new neuropathways in our brain. It's the same way with this. If we start to shift the way we talk about why things did or didn't work out with someone, why we left someone, why someone left us, it eventually is going to catch up with us. And we aren't going to have to say, hey, 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 hey. It's not that they're bad. It's not that I'm bad. It's that we're incompatible. So practice that. Bring it into your internal dialogue and see what happens. I hope that you guys have the day that you need to have, have the week you need to have, and I will be back with you on Wednesday for Couch Talks. Bye, guys.
Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 